Well, good morning, church. Now we can say Merry Christmas, right? As we get ready for uh, and, uh, the coming of Christmas and the celebration of Christ's birth, we begin our uh, Advent season. And, you know, I, I didn't even know really what Advent meant very much until I came here as your pastor. And this church had a long tradition of an Advent wreath and lighting of candles and celebrating as we move toward Christmas Day and the, the celebrating the birth of Christ, the, the, the themes of Advent. And, and I know that there are various uh, uh, iterations, so to speak, throughout church history, but, but the primary themes of Advent that we will celebrate this year as we move forward the first week after Thanksgiving is the hope that we have in Christ as we look forward to his return. Or his, his birth, first his birth, celebrating his birth, and then his return. Then we'll talk about next week, uh, the peace that we have that comes through Christ our King, the joy that we celebrate, and then love. Uh, all of those four themes leading into uh, Christmas Eve and Christmas morning, where we will then will celebrate the birth of Christ himself. So uh, today we're going to be looking at that theme of hope. And hope is an interesting word, especially in our English language, because we tend to use hope as something that is uh, uncertain uh, or iffy. Humans tend to be people that have hope. Uh, that's kind of what keeps us going. We, we think that even if we're going through a bad day, tomorrow will be better. And uh, the way that we tend to use that word in our language is, is a little bit unsettling when we begin to look at it in, in scriptural uh, from a scriptural standpoint. And let me put it this way. Uh, this is the easiest way for me to get there. A lot of folks recently knew that I was uh, uh, hunting and trying to find a, a buy. I've got to get an animal in there somewhere. I was trying to get my deer. I've been hunting since the beginning of archery season and uh, enjoying it and spending time with my brothers and spending time out there, kind of the pastor of the deer lease I've, I've kind of found myself to be. And uh, But uh, people from the church would every week would say, man, uh, you, you're going to get him this week. You're going you're gonna to get him. And my thought was always, I hope so. I hope it happens. Well, that's the way we use hope, the word hope in the English language. Well, maybe, maybe we'll, maybe we won't. Uh, we, we'll, we'll say, uh, you know, I hope that you have a great Christmas. We're, we're not certain of it. We're hoping that it will come to fruition. That is not the idea behind biblical hope. When we speak of hope, and as we celebrate Christ this Advent season, we celebrate something that we have to look forward to that has an incredible level of certainty to it. Biblical hope is rooted and grounded in God's faithfulness and in His goodness. See, we have a future to look forward to. We, we have... Uh, an inheritance that is not founded on something that's iffy, something that might happen. We have an inheritance, we have a future that is not based in subjectivity. It is based on the objective truth that Christ was born, Christ lived, Christ died, and Christ rose again. And because of those objective truths, historical facts that Jesus already settled that he is the God of this world. He is the one who has brought victory over death, hell, and the grave. You and I have a certainty in our future. 
We have something that we can look forward to. That is the difference between biblical hope and when we speak of hope during the Advent season and, and how we generally use that term in our English language. So when we speak of hope, we're talking about a confidence that because of God's redemptive acts in the past, as we trust him as our Lord and Savior in the present, we have a future that is sure and settled. It's not a maybe. It's not iffy. Because Jesus is who he says he is, because he is God, he died and he rose again, we have a certainty for our future that we can hold on to. That is the biblical hope that we celebrate during the Advent season. We're going to be looking at Titus chapter 2. This is a great Christmas passage that I've never preached from this season. But as I uh, sought the Lord uh, for this plan months ago, the Lord led me here. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 15. Scripture says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lust, and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in this present age, while we wait the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness, to cleanse us for himself, a people of his own possession, eager to do good works, proclaim these things, encourage and rebuke with all authority, and let no one disregard you. In this passage, especially verse 11 and 12 there, verse 11 in particular, we have a, a great metaphor that Paul is using these, he writes to Titus for the incarnation of Christ. It's not the only time that, that Christ's coming has been expressed as the grace of God. But even here, he's, uh, Paul writes to Titus and he says, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. As I read uh, that over and over over the last couple of weeks, I kept going back to the announcements of uh, the angelic announcements to Joseph and the angelic announcements to the shepherds uh, back in Matthew chapter one and Luke chapter two. And you'll hear the, the same kind of tone. And, and when the angel appeared to Joseph, he said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. In Luke chapter two, the angel said to them, don't be afraid for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a savior was born to you who is the Messiah, the Lord. You hear that, that undertone there of in the birth of Christ, we have a hope for a future that is rooted in the salvation that Jesus is to bring to all people, to offer that gift to all. Now, certainly, and we see it even in this text, not all receive that incredible gift of salvation. In fact, down in verse 13, you'll see uh, there, there, it becomes kind of exclusive, or verse 14, when he says, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, but to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession. Only those who, who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus for their one and only hope of eternal life, only those will receive that salvation. 
But this is a great metaphor for the birth of Christ or the incarnation. It was in Jesus's birth when he entered the womb of Mary and was born in that stable on Christmas morning that God appeared bringing salvation to all, for all people. On that day, God appeared on earth. That's what the incarnation means. The word appearance there is the, the Greek word where we get our word epiphany from. It was a, an appearing, a showing up where God came and, and revealed himself to us through, in human flesh through the, the person of Jesus Christ. So God's grace appeared there in verse 11. Now he gives, there's three uh, prepositions, prepositional phrases here that I want you to see. The first one is he's bringing salvation for all people. In Christ, he is bringing us this offer or this gift of salvation. This is a, a, a deals with our past. In Christ, we can be redeemed. We can receive the cleansing of our sin and we can be uh, prepared for as God, God cleanses us and brings us into his family. And so here, our hope is that in Christ, through the salvation that we have in Christ, he's gonna deal with our past. He's gonna offer us this incredible gift of salvation. And we know that that salvation is only offered through Christ. It, you can only be saved through Christ. It is, it is through him and him alone that we can be cleansed of our sin. The second thing that you see here is the, the phrase instructing us. So Christ is bringing salvation, but he is instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lust, to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in this present age. Now, the one thing that our salvation has not done, it has not jerked us up out of this world. When you're born again in Christ and he cleanses you of your sin, you're, you receive salvation as a gift from God. From that moment forward, your past has been dealt with, but you're still living in this present age. It, it, the promise of salvation is not that you're not gonna face tough times. You become one of his children, but you're still living in this present age. And in fact, without getting too deep into that, that theological concept, I believe that once, the, once Christ appeared on earth and the Holy Spirit invaded this world in Christ and then through the church, as we sang about a little bit ago, when the Holy Spirit lit the flame of the church and was poured out on the body of Christ, we live in an overlapping age. We live in a time where certainly the kingdom of God has appeared. John the Baptist said, behold, when Jesus showed up, the kingdom of God is near. Other places is the kingdom of God is here. So in Christ, wherever the Holy Spirit dwells, the kingdom is already present. This kingdom, the one that you and I have been a, become a part of through our salvation, we've become a part of an everlasting kingdom that will never end, okay? But there's an overlap right now. The pre, this present evil age that began with the fall of Adam, it will not end until Christ returns and he brings an end to this world. And so right now we live in this present evil age, even though we are part of the kingdom. And so we are gonna still face rainy days. We're still gonna face tough times. 
we're going to face the, sin, the, the, the effects and the impact of sin that has come upon this world. Our bodies will still die. Our souls won't, our spirits won't, because we spiritually are part of a kingdom age that never ends. So you see what, where I'm coming from there? We, in this present day, for now, we are living in a time that's got a, a sense of tension in it. We're not of this world. If you're a born-again believer, you receive salvation in Christ. You're not of this world, but you're still in this world. One of these days, this present evil age will be brought to an end when Christ returns. But until then, during this evil age, Christ is instructing us. And that's the second part of, of his appearing. He's now instructing us how to live in a way that we deny godlessness and worldly lust and live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way. And he is empowering us. This is the advantage that we have as believers in Christ, he's empowering us through his Holy Spirit to do what we could not do in our own strength. So in this present evil age, we have an advantage over those who don't know Christ. We have the spirit of the living God dwelling within us who empowers us and enables us to live in this age, but not like we're of this age. The spirit of God instructs us and empowers us and strengthens us to live in a way that is sensible and righteous and godly, even though we're living in what many see as a godless age. So we have a, a present deliverance in Christ as well. His appearing and what he has brought for us, the hope that we have in Christ is not just a hope that our past has been dealt with, Right? He's dealt with our sin, he's dealt with our past, but he's also dealing with our present. We have a hope for today. In Christ, we can live a different kind of life. In Christ, we've been set free from the bondage of sin, even though we battle against it in our flesh, we're not bound to sin anymore. We've been set free from the bonds of sin and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live a different kind of life today. That's our hope that we receive from Christ for daily life. It's not that we, we're not going to face tough times, and you'll hear me say this time and again. This is not a, a prosperity or health and wealth gospel, but it's the promise of the presence of God in you and with you that empowers you to live differently in this age than the rest of the world. So in Christ, he's, we, we have a certainty that he's dealt with our past, we're forgiven of our sins, we're cleansed, we're one of his. We have a certainty that he is dealing with our present and he's helping us as we live out in this present age, but we also have an assurance in his coming. And that's what we see in the next verse. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So while we're living out this, this age, we look forward to and await his appearance again. Because there is another time, there is another day that Jesus will return. And when he appears that time, he's going to appear in glory. The first time he appeared in obscurity and in, the, in the womb of a, of a young virgin. To be born in a manger. To live a humble life. To suffer and to die as a sacrifice for your sin and my sin. To deal with our past. But when he comes the next time, 
He won't come in obscurity. And he won't come in frailty. And he won't come in a typical human body. He will return as a king of glory. And we look forward to that day, our blessed hope, when we see the appearing of Jesus Christ again as our God and Savior. He, he has established a certain future for us. Our hope, rooted in the appearance of Christ in the womb of a virgin, born in Bethlehem in a manger, that hope, that certainty gives us hope for our past. See, some people think that they're doing okay now, but their past is so messed up, there's nothing can be done about it. Your past can be forgiven and completely cleansed in Christ. See, that's the good news. In Christ, he even deals with your past. He deals with your present and he offers you a certain future. You don't have to hope that maybe you'll make it. If you are Christ, you're one of his family, you're his, you're wrapped up in his arms and you will receive the inheritance that he has promised. That is a certainty that comes with Christ and a relationship with him that cannot be found anywhere in this world. So you see it expressed there in verse 14. Why do we have this assurance? Why do we have this certainty? Verse 14 says, because he gave himself for us. That's the core of the gospel. The grace of God appeared bringing salvation, instruction, and, 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 and awaiting and looking forward to his return. But all of it is rooted in this. He gave himself for us. Christ died for you and for me. At Christmas time, we love to celebrate the baby in the manger. But the baby that was born in that manger had a purpose. And the purpose was the cross. It's too easy for us to, in our humanity, to, to put a dividing line between Christmas and Good Friday and Easter. But Jesus tells us from the very beginning, he came to seek and to save those who were lost. The announcements of Christ's birth pointed towards salvation, that he was coming to save those who, who, who would he, he would adopt into his family. He came to be a savior. The predictions from Isaiah spoke of a suffering servant who would come as a sacrifice and give up himself, take the sins of the world upon his shoulders. So the purpose of the manger was always the cross. The purpose of his birth was always to be a redeeming sacrifice for you and I. I love Paul's words here because he doesn't leave any ambiguity. He doesn't say he was murdered to redeem us. He was crucified to redeem us. Paul says very clearly in verse 14, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all of our sins. Jesus stepped out of heaven 
the creator of the universe, the one who was there from the beginning and before the beginning. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was there. He was the creator of the universe. It was through Christ. He was the agent of creation. All of this is his. He made it. He sustains it, Colossians chapter 2 says. By his own power, by his own strength, he sustains every breath, every life. Is created by God, is sustained by God. It's maintained by God. We are his. All of creation is his. And that Savior, that God, that King, that glorious entity that is beyond our own comprehension, whatever we can think of, how great we could imagine, he is beyond it, came to this earth and entered into the womb of a virgin to appear as a human, to show us how humans ought to live and to die in that body, a sacrificial death. Why? So that you and I could be redeemed. Our sin, the sin of this world and our own personal sin has so stained our souls that we could not dwell in the presence of a holy God unless he did something to cleanse us. No other sacrifice would be good enough. He, Christ himself, gave himself to redeem us. That's the, the glorious gospel, the story of Christmas, as he appeared so that he might die as a sacrifice for us redeeming us from lawlessness. And then the second thing he tells us there in verse 14 is cleansing us for himself so that he could adopt us into his family. So he, he paid for our sins. The idea of redemption is that, that our sins owned us. This, this world owned us and Christ purchased us. And then he cleaned us up so that we could come home to his father. He cleansed us for himself, a people with his own possession. You know, I guess maybe our pride and maybe, maybe it's just me, maybe my pride or my arrogance struggles a little bit that, that Paul uses that word possession there, that we're God's possession. We don't like to think of people as possession, but you know, we call our kids our kids. That's called a possessive pronoun. <laughs> They're my kids, my parents. And we take pride in our family, our church. That's a possessive pronoun. And the idea is that, that those whom we love the most, we claim as ours. That's what Jesus did. He redeemed and he cleaned up some people that would be a part of his family for his own possession. We're his. When you understand it that way, it doesn't seem so bad. It doesn't seem bad at all because he did something for me that I could not do. I could not adopt myself into his family. You ever think about that? A, a, a kid could not choose to be adopted into a family. They could, there'd be a whole lot less kids in orphanages or foster care. I think of my daughter right now, she's, she's trying to 
Libby's going to be moving out, moving in with her sister, and she's wanted a dog of her own for a long time. Well, she wants to adopt one from a from an agency to to rescue a, a puppy. And I, I can imagine that when she gets the right one, that she's going to pour out her love, her care. She's going to bring that 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 puppy home and she's going to bathe it and clean it and care for it and watch over it and you know kind of treat it like a child because it's hers her puppy that's what christ did for us he adopted us you know there's not a puppy in his shelter anywhere that can adopt you right but you can adopt them we could not adopt ourselves into the family of god but he adopted us. He came down to our level, met us where we are, purchased us, cleaned us up, and has taken us home to be with him forever and ever and ever. Without him stepping out of heaven and coming down to our level, we'd have no hope because we can't get there. We can't lift ourselves up high enough to go where he is. So he came down here to meet us where we are, to take us home, to clean us up, to make us his. That's the hope that we have in Christmas. So Paul ends with a command to Titus. Proclaim these things, declare these things, preach these things, teach these things. However you want to translate that word, the idea is we need to go tell somebody. Go tell it on a mountain. (laughs) Go tell it in the grocery store. Go tell it to your family and friends. Go tell somebody. What are we going to tell them? We're going to tell them that his coming, that he came for us. See, his coming is worth us declaring. His coming is to be born of a virgin, to die for us is worth declaring. It's good news. His return is a hope worth sharing. Jesus is coming back. And this mess that we see in this world, it one day is going to end. And one of these days, he, 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 I'm, I'm kind of like Paul was. Paul, when he first got saved, he thought Jesus was going to come back while he was still alive. You can see it in the tone of his letters. When I was a young man in high school and I'd hear preachers talk about the, the, the return of Christ, I'd, I'd hear them talk about the rapture, I was looking for it. I figured I had a lot of time left and sometime during those years that I had on this earth, Jesus was going to be coming back and I'd get to see him split the skies open and I might still. The older I get, the more I realize he may come for me another way, <laughs> Right? Some of you folks my age and older, you starting to see that? He he may come and take me home to be with him before the rapture. But in either case, he's coming for me. He's coming for me. And that's that's a hope we're sharing. And his sacrifice is an image of love worth telling. So whether you want to begin by telling your friends or telling your neighbors about his birth or about his 
return or about his sacrifice on the cross, all of it is a part of the good news and all of it is worth proclaiming. All of it is worth telling. Everyone needs that certainty, that hope, that assurance that you and I have that only comes through Christ. Our hope is a sense of assurance. It's not a question. It's not an uncertainty. It's not a, a maybe thought out there somewhere. Our hope is a sense of assurance that is rooted in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And that's a story worth proclaiming. We're going to have Matthew come and lead us in a hymn of invitation or a hymn of response. And my first, my first request is that if, if, if you've never put your faith in Christ, in Christ alone for your eternal life, don't let this moment pass you by. If you were to stand before God today and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? And you were to say, because I've tried to be a good person or, or I've, I've worked hard or, or I've, I've tried to take care of people around me. All of those are rooted in your goodness. And I've already told you that you can't reach God in your own goodness. There's only one answer. And that answer is Jesus. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Wataga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Wataga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwataga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.